0: So you didn't have one. Late to the Immerse camp. So it is still about (laughs) the Immerse camp. Uh, But we would like to invite some people on Immerse camp. Charles, you can stay here. It's okay, huh? Good. (laughs) We'd like to invite some people onto the Immerse camp that would normally not be able to afford to come to a camp like this. And in order to do that, we need to help them get there. And so to be doing that, we've sold some pancakes um, at the morning services this week, and we're selling them again tonight for a donation. So you don't have to pay pay a lot of money, but if you could pay as much money as you want to give to a cause to enable others to come and to receive what you're going to be a part of at camp, that would be really awesome. So we're going to be outside in the um, courtyard after the service. We're going to have some pancakes there. So once you've had dinner, come and have dessert with us, and it's going to be really fantastic. Uh, as John okay. said this morning, the pancakes are free as long as you make a donation. Here we All go. Right. Cool. Let's pray a few shells. Father, we just want to thank you for Shelly and the gift that she is to us. Lord, I want to thank you for her life and just want to honor you and honor her. And I want to pray, Lord, as Shells unpacks the word for us tonight, that you'd bless her, empower her. Lord, may she speak, led by the Spirit of God with authority and anointing. I pray that our hearts would be open to receive and that you'd minister to us by your word through Shells in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening. As you know, we're in the middle of a series at the moment on Genesis, and the tagline there is faith and life intersect. And we've made that our tagline because we believe that our faith impacts every area of our lives. And it's not something that just can be boxed to the side. In fact, the story of God's people shows us that life without faith is actually an empty life. And faith without practical application in our lives is also of no real value. Our faith should be shaping everything that we are and everything that we do now tonight from the book of Genesis I just want to share with you the story about a woman called Hagar what we know about her journey her choices and her revelation of God but you cannot tell Hagar's story with also without also telling something of Sarah's story and the story of these two women and where their lives intersect can be found in Genesis chapter 16 and in Genesis chapter 21 And I choose to share their stories tonight because I believe there's just so much that we can learn about God and how He wants to impact the story of our lives. Now, Sarah and Hagar are in many ways opposites, and as such, they represent and they share the narrative of two very different types of women. Sarah is a woman who seemingly has it all. We're told that she's a very beautiful woman who is married to a man, Abraham, whom God has made the promise that through him, All the nations of the earth will be blessed. Abraham had become a very wealthy man, and Sarah was undoubtedly very well looked after and lived what we would call a privileged lifestyle where she had servants to do her bidding and follow her orders. Hagar, in contrast, is a woman who has nothing. Being a slave to Sarah, she has no power over her destiny, very little status, and probably very little hope as well. She is a woman whose needs and wishes are not considered, and she simply has to obey what she is told to do. All we know about her background is that she is an Egyptian woman and is regarded as the property of Abraham and Sarah, along with all the other men servants and maidservants. We don't know how Hagar came to be part of their household or how long she's been with them. Some have connected Abraham and Sarah's stay in Egypt during the day, years of famine, with the Egyptian maidservant joining their family. That history aside, we know that Hagar is a foreign woman in a strange land who is separated against her will from her homeland and from her family. But when we look deeper into the story, we see that the woman who seemingly has it all and the woman who has nothing actually land up with that situation being reversed. And Sarah is revealed to have some very serious struggles of her own, and Hagar has her situation elevated to the point where Sarah actually feels threatened by her. So let's look at the biblical account of their story as it unfolds and just see what the Lord has to say to us this evening. You can open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16 and follow along as I tell you their story. Now Sarah. Abraham's wife had borne him no children but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar so she said to Abraham the lord has kept me from having children go sleep with my slave perhaps i can build a family through her so god has promised a son to abraham but there is one thing noticeably absent from these promises and that was that god had never included sarah in that promise God never said that Abraham would have a son through Sarai, only that Abraham would have a son. Now, it doesn't mean that this wasn't part of God's plan. I mean, it clearly was, for Sarai was Abraham's legal wife. But Sarai had, at this point in the narrative, never had a direct word from God herself. And I think it's helpful to understand this, because her actions have been criticized throughout history as as those of a woman who was impatient, who was lacking faith, And it's really easy for us to pin these sins on her without walking in her shoes. Sarah, as she was later called, was a woman living under enormous pressure. She was very aware of the promise that was made to her husband, Abraham. She knew how much it meant to him to have a child. And yet here she was, unable to conceive. Now in Israel, and among the people at that time generally, barrenness was a woman and a family's greatest misfortune, and even caused a woman to experience social reproach. Women who experienced barrenness often understood the inability to conceive as a divine withholding of blessing, uh, a punishment, or even a curse. Certainly, Soraya understood her barrenness to be the result of God withholding the gift of pregnancy. And that, no doubt, left her feeling like just this deep shame, desperation, intense frustration. And probably abandoned and overlooked by the God of Promise, who had spoken to her husband. So Sarah takes matters into her own hands, and she decides that she's going to ensure that this promise is fulfilled through alternative means. And she resorts to a practice which was legal in those ancient times: if a man's wife could not have children, he could have children by his wife's slave, and any child that was born to the slave was considered to be the child of the wife to whom the slave was under. And that's apparently what Sarai had in mind. If Hagar fell pregnant, her child would be considered Sarai's eagle offspring. Abram agreed to what Sarai said, and so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So Hagar doesn't get any say in this. The decision is just made that she's going to be used to provide an heir. And she's given to Abraham as really what could be considered his concubine, which, though awful uh, though though this is, was a bit of her elevation um, in her status from being a slave. Now, the plan works in that she does conceive, except it doesn't quite work out as Sarai had imagined and we now see that there's conflict in their home. And the fact that Hagar could immediately conceive when Sarai couldn't, after years and years, might have tempted Hagar to see herself as superior to her mistress. But whatever the motivation behind the attitude change, Sarai feels Hagar's contempt and it deeply upsets her. Her plan might have worked, but it wasn't like she imagined. The consequences of her actions had implications that she had never anticipated or thought through. And one of those consequences is now marital strife between her and Abram. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong that I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows that she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. And then Sarai mistreated Hagar, and so she fled from her. Now we're not told the specifics of Sarai's mistreatment of Hagar, but it is so unbearable that Hagar feels that her only option is to run away. And it had to have really been a rough time for Hagar, who was used to being treated as a slave, to flee into the desert as a pregnant woman. In fact, I can't think of a more inhospitable environment for a woman in her condition than that. And she doesn't even know where she is going, although it does seem that she heads in the general direction of Egypt. She just knows that she has got to get out of this untenable living environment. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur, which was on the northeast border of Egypt. And he said, Hagar slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. So here we see that in the middle of the wilderness, Hagar has an encounter with the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord calls her by name. And this is really significant because up until this point in chapter 16, nobody has spoken to her, or about her by name, both Sarai and Abraham, and their references to her, just call her my slave or your slave. But when the angel of God speaks to her, he says Hagar, acknowledging her as a person who is known by name to Almighty God. Do you know the name Hagar; it means flight or stranger. But this woman who is fleeing is no stranger. To Almighty God. And even though the angel knows the answers, he asks Hagar where she has come from and where she is going. And Hagar only answers one of his two questions, and that rather vaguely. But in response, the angel tells her what she now needs to do. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much, so much, that they will be too numerous to count. Agar is the only woman in the Bible who receives a promise from God about descendants. And she has promised that from her will come a multitude of descendants. Very similar, in fact, to the promise that God had given to Abraham in Genesis 15. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery." She's also the first woman to hear the announcement from an angel that she's going to bear a child. And her son needs to be called Ishmael, which means God hears. God heard Hagar's affliction. And he tells her, too, what kind of man Ishmael will be and what his descendants will be like as well. These words might perhaps not have been what she wanted to hear. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. So Ishmael is going to experience great affliction at the hands of others and also cause great affliction as well. Whereas Abraham's descendants through Sarai will bring blessing to the world, Hagar's will bring strife. And looking ahead in Genesis, we find out that one of Abraham's grandsons, Esau, married Ishmael's daughter. And so it was the Ishmaelite traders, also referred to as Midianite merchants, themselves descendant from an Egyptian slave who transported his great-grandson Joseph into slavery in Egypt. Hagar now responds. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. In Hebrew, it says, Elroi, for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me, and that is why the well was called Beel Ahai Roy, and it is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So, Hagar gives this name to the Lord, El Roy, which means the God who sees me. You know, this is the only occurrence of El Roy in the Bible, and it is a beautiful, beautiful name of God. Hagar found herself in a nightmare of a situation where she was alone, she was impoverished, she was pregnant with no hope, no future. But the God who sees me had seen Hagar and had seen her predicament. The God who numbers the very hairs on our heads, who knows every detail of our circumstances, past, present, and future. He's the God who met with Hagar. And Hagar discovered that she was not alone and that God had a future for her and a future for her child god saw her and it seems the knowledge of this truth gave hagar the strength that she needed to return to abraham's tribe she had a purpose to live for to bear a child who would have an important destiny and to raise that child who would have descendants without number so hagar bore abram a son and abraham gave the name ishmael to the son that she had born Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So she returns, gives birth to her son who was named Ishmael. We don't know how Sarai treated her upon her return or how she treated the baby, um, but the fact that we're not told much about that seems that they seem to have worked out a a sort of settlement that, that worked for both of them. And now we jump ahead 14 years later to Genesis 21, when Sarah herself now has a son. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time that God had promised him. And if we just go ahead in the text now to chapter 8, it says, then the child grew and was weaned. And on the day that Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. So the old animosity between Sarah and Hagar flays up yet again. Sarah was now really threatened by Ishmael's presence, fearing that he would not take away from her son's inheritance, and she wants both him and Hagar banished. This time it's not Hagar running away, but it's Sarah who is permanently wanting them expelled from the household. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. At least this time we see Abraham having some sort of reaction and being a bit distressed about his son, so there's a bit of improvement in that space. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. And early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy, and she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes, and then she went off, sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. So Hagel once again finds herself in the wilderness, and this time, she's left in the horrific situation of seeing her son also suffering greatly, suffering greatly in the desert heat. And she knows it's not gonna be long before her son actually is past helping. And so unable to bear her helplessness in the face of Ishmael's anguish, Hagar just sits several meters away and just begins to wail out her grief. Where was El Rui, the God who sees me? Her son was named God Hears. Was God's ear now deaf to their cries? Psalm 69, verse 3 echoes words that surely mirrored what Hagar was experiencing at this point I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Do you know the wilderness certainly seems to be Hagar's place of encounter with the Almighty? Because it says, God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. El the God who sees yet again, just speaks life and hope over Hagar. And in lifting up her eyes, she immediately sees God's provision. God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and she filled the skin with water and she gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and he became an archer. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. So Hagar and her son are saved from death and they continue on their journey knowing that they've now got only God and themselves to rely on. And they make a life for themselves in the wilderness of Paran, where Ishmael grew to manhood. And when it came time for Ishmael to marry, Hagar found him a wife from amongst her own people, not from the people of his father. And the promise that God had made to Hagar and Ishmael so many years before was not broken by God. In their time of trial, it might have seemed like it was forgotten but it was never forgotten by God. And God did increase Ishmael's descendants until they were too numerous to count. He became the father of 12 sons. These sons eventually took wives, had children, and through these children, tribes were formed. These tribes made up the nations that dwell from Havilah to Shur, from Egypt to Assyria. And we do know that Ishmael also had one known daughter who became the third wife of Esau. And Ishmael appeared with Isaac at the burial of his father Abraham, and we know that he himself died at the ripe old age of 137. There's two points that I want to share with you that stand out for me about this story. And the first one is this, that God is the God of real people. There are many historical accounts in the Old Testament that can leave you feeling really disturbed and sometimes even overwhelmed by the depth of human depravity. And certainly in this region of Genesis, um, they, there are many of them. The story of Sarah and Hagar is no exception. And there are many things that recorded there that I think we are all deeply uncomfortable with. Why would these stories be included in the scriptures? And the account of history that we read in the Old Testament is just that. It is the real story of real people who are raw and broken by their sin. And what these accounts show us is the depth of every human's need for Jesus Christ. These are real people with real hopes and dreams and human passions, faith, but also failings. These are people who, yes, step out in faith but also stumble in doubt and stumble in disobedience. And it is a great reminder to us that God's primary revelation to humanity is not just through a book of doctrines or or rules that we need to obey, but it is through relationship with real people in real time. God's ultimate revelation to us came in human form. God came to be with us, Emmanuel in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, his living word to each one of us. And God wants a relationship with us all. We don't, wait, we don't have to wait for our lives to be cleaned and sanitized in order for God to work in us. Because God came for the lost and the broken and the hurting. God came for those who are going through the real and raw seasons of life. And that is where he is able to encounter us. And I fear that many of us can put on masks when we come to church on a Sunday and we, we feel afraid and maybe we feel shamed to share and to show our real and hurting selves. But how else are we to find healing unless we have the freedom to bring into the light that which we carry in the darkness? These community times together are times that we gather as real people in real time and at times raw and broken by our sin. And we need Jesus. We need the ministry of His Holy Spirit in our midst. God will not be shocked by anything that we have to bring to Him, because He is the God that has been there for all time and has seen it all. The second thing that stands out is that God sees us. And God hears us. Hagar had a real wilderness experience when she ran away. And in the wilderness, she discovered God as El Roy, the God who sees. And the God who saw Hagar is also the God who sees each one of us. He is equally your El Roy, the God who sees you. And Hagar had to have another wilderness experience. And this time, she lost everything. Her home, her husband, her security, her comfort. For 14 years, she had lived with Abraham and Sarah, empowered by the promises that God had spoken to her in the desert. And then she's abandoned yet again in the wilderness. And these promises that God made to her 14 years back seem about to die. She cannot even begin to see hope again. But El Roy, the God who sees encounters her yet again. And maybe you have also had your own wilderness or desert experience. Perhaps, like Hagar, you find yourselves yet again in the desert, and the hope that has sustained you is also now gone. Proverbs 13 verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And hope deferred can look like many things. An agonizing search for a job that's just filled with endless interviews and rejection after rejection. A prayer of salvation for a loved one that just continues to go unanswered year after year. A long-term battle with illness. A dream not yet realized. A prayer that just doesn't seem to be heard. Or a string of losses that just leaves you feeling empty. Hope deferred can lead to depression, anxiety, and actual physical sickness. In the face of hopelessness, we can become spiritually dried up and vulnerable to the enemy's attacks and susceptible to his lies. And in that space, the promises of God are forgotten, and we just see no way forward. Hagar prepared to die, seeing no hope in front of her. Yet as she lay there weeping, God spoke to her and he said, what is the matter, Hagar? And then he spoke these beautiful words, do not be afraid. Friends, the God who sees you wants to know your need. And he wants to speak words of faith and words of courage over you. Do not be afraid. Hagar, God rather opened Hagar's eyes, and when he opened her eyes, she was able to see that well of water. And what a powerful reminder to Hagar that he was still the God who sees me. God is referred to by many names throughout the Bible, yet the name that is one of my favorites and has personally meant the most to me And brought me the greatest peace and hope is this name El Roy the name only mentioned once in scripture the name that means the God who sees me it is a great reminder that God knows what I'm experiencing even when I feel that I am in the wilderness it's a great reminder that God is the God who understands it is a reminder that the God who sees me knows not only my past and my present but also my future. It is a reminder that he is the God who can see the wells of water that I am blinded to, the streams of blessing and refreshing and life that await for me if I will just let him open my eyes. And it is a reminder that the God who sees me is also the God who will never abandon me. The reality of our life is that it's not always neat and nice. There are not always solutions ahead that remove us from challenging environments. But knowing that we never have to be alone and that God sees us and He knows, it gives me the courage and the faith that no matter what the future holds, God will never leave me nor forsake me and that His presence and His spirit in my life will bring purpose and will bring hope. Lauren Daigle is a a Christian artist that many of you know, and I believe her songs are incredibly powerful and have ministered profoundly to me. And I just want to read the lyrics of one of her songs to you right now. And they say, Your ways are always higher. Your plans are always good. There's not a place where I'll go that you've not already stood. Do not be afraid. Now in closing this evening, I want to ask you, what would your honest answer be if the Lord asked you these three questions tonight? My child, where have you come from? My child, where are you going? My child, what is the matter? And I'm going to ask you now to all please stand. And if you are one of those who this evening have come into this place just feeling that you're in a season where you are just feeling that you are hurting, and you're just feeling raw, for whatever the reason, I'm just going to ask you just to take a seat. If you are here this evening, and you're feeling a bit like Hagar, where you are just feeling, I am in the desert, and I don't know where God is, won't you please take a seat? If you're one of those here this evening who, for whatever reason, has just had hope dashed again and again and again, and you are tired and you are weary, I want to invite you to take a seat. And if you're here this evening and you just needed to, whatever reason, be reminded of this truth that God sees me and God hears that you've had a situation that just warrants that truth spoken over your life, I want to invite you to take a seat. In our community, friends, family, I want to invite all of those who are standing to turn around and lay hands on all of our family who are sitting down this evening. And we are just going to take a few moments just to gather around them. That Everyone is, ideally, everyone who's sitting can just have a hand on them. And won't you just quietly pray over them as the Lord leads you? If you want to pray aloud, you can do that. But please don't feel pressured to do that. But I want to encourage you now to step out in faith yourself and just to gather around those who are sitting. And as the Lord leads you, just to be able to pray over them and be His hands of hope and healing here this evening. So I'm just going to give a few moments for us just to be praying around the auditorium. So if you're standing, move around and find someone who's sitting, and let's just quietly all pray together. And then after giving you some moments to do that, i want to pray over all of us. And don't move in that time. I want you to stay with your hands praying for those who are sitting, because we also want to almost prophetically sing over all of you who are sitting just now as well. So let's just take some moments to pray wherever you are.